Hey, if you turn to Second Peter, chapter three. Second Peter, chapter three. I'm going to begin reading at verse fourteen. Excuse me. Second Peter three, verse fourteen. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Of course, the things that we're looking for is the new heaven and new earth. It's really talking about previous verses. Of course, before that was apostasy. So those are the two things we're looking for. Uh, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, under their own destruction. Ye, therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Title the message tonight, Steadfast in an Apocalyptic World. Now the word apocalypse, I don't say that very often, is, the dictionary definition is a prophetic revelation, especially concerning a cataclysm in which the forces of good permanently triumph over the forces of evil. You know, if you, uh, sometimes you go through, like Walmart, and you go through past where the magazines or the papers are, and it'll say something about the apocalypse. And it's something dramatic and terrible that they think is going to happen. Well, we kind of live in that kind of world. In fact, there's even games that have the name Apocalypse in it. Um, you know, of course, the world kind of makes tries to make light of things that are scriptural. There is a coming Apocalypse. There is coming a time when the forces of good, God, will will destroy the forces of evil. Um, But there are always those who are trying to redefine or redirect or discredit what the Bible says. For example, Brother Hoyle was mentioning this morning, warning us about coming up with new things or searching for some hidden truth. Well, a guy has a book out. His name is uh, Victor Porton. It's called The End of the Gospel. And he says this, in Revelation 1.1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things which must happen soon, of course he's using another version, which he sent and made known by his angel to his servant John. And he says, the word servant from this Bible verse can also be read as slave, which is true. So, who, who Apocalypse is addressed to? It is addressed to slaves of God. 
if we become friends rather than slaves of God, as allowed by revelations from my book, he says, it is not addressed to us anymore. How easy to escape it, you know. This means that as, as our faith makes progress, it may cause the, to cancel the apocalypse catastrophes. Consider Revelation 8, seven trumpets. As you can see from my book, it describes a comet falling to the earth and causing various catastrophes. But if we are friends of God, no more slaves, God does not disturb us. Some of his writing doesn't even make sense. God does not disturb us to, to nuke the comet using a rocket with a nuclear warhead or in some other way to protect the earth from a catastrophe. God may find some other way to set up his kingdom on earth without first carpet bombing with a comet. This may depend on advancement of our faith overcoming the evil. So it all depends on us. You know. Thus, apocalypse can be probably canceled as well as all negative aspects of the gospel canceled as we advance to the next stage of faith above the letter of the New Testament but in the spirit of faith. As I have shown above, the apocalypse can be canceled. What about the rest of the New Testament? New Testament says, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, who also made us sufficient as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But have you ever, he wrote think, but I think he meant thought, thought that this produces a paradox. New Testament book itself is letter, so it should kill. In other words, New Testament itself claims that we should not follow its letter, because it kills. But Spirit, after, but Spirit, after all, we know that the Bible is true. We cannot ignore its letter. How to resolve this paradox? The only possible solution is that the New Testament terminates itself just like the Old Testament terminated itself. I didn't know that happened. Did you? If the New Testament is not terminated, we must follow its letter, but it says not to, so it logically follows that it terminates. The law is canceled for us. How convenient. When we tried to follow commandments of Bible, we only violated more important commandments trying to follow less important commandments. Do you have that problem? I don't know. I don't have that problem. You blind guides who strain a gnat and swallow a camel. We should instead live by the spirit, not by the letter of the New Testament, in order to do good rather than to make pride that we follow a particular commandment. New epic comes as New Testament terminates itself in the same way as it terminated Old Testament. This is the teaching of New Testament itself. Coming of Christ is near, so a new epic begins for us. This means change. God having, and here again he quotes scripture, out of context, God having provided some better thing for us. This means that God has provided something better than life according to the gospel. Unquote. Now, that is some far-fetched new thing. I would say he's a biblical ignoramus. No, the apocalypse will come. I don't care what he says. You know, Peter has written concerning the apostasy of the last days in this book and about the day of the Lord or the judgment of God on earth and the recreating of the heavens and the earth. You know, again, the world refers to this as the apocalypse, a time of widespread 
disaster and destruction. And it puts many in fear or anxiety concerning the future. But that's not what Peter's message is. I want to notice five things from this passage tonight as Peter is writing or just written concerning these things. And then he says, and it says, first of all, not to be shaken. Notice verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, see that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. He says, seeing we look for these things, we're expecting them. He says, we can be found in peace. We're not to be shaken or shocked. Uh, to the core or be worried or anxious about these things that are going to come upon the earth. Uh, you know, it reminds me of what Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, you know, as he was in the garden, he's telling them what's going to happen to them before they leave this life and how they're going to be treated. And he tells them that for a reason. And it's really in chapter 16. In John 15, 18, he says, If the world hate you, you know that hate me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the word of love is own. Because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. <coughs> Excuse me. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Now drop down to <clears throat> chapter or verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, this is of course the Holy Spirit, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. Or don't be shocked, don't be offended, don't be surprised. I've told you it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And don't be worried. In fact, he goes on and tells them not to worry about it. Uh, and don't premeditate. You know, He told them in Luke and the, and the other the Gospels not to premeditate what they're going to say when they get into situations like this where they may be arrested and brought before kings. And in verse 33, you know, he, he goes through this chapter 16 talking about these things. And in verse 36, 33, he finishes that chapter this way. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So there's going to be all this tribulation in the world. There's going to be problems in your world. Is there problems in your life? There's problems in mine. I face problems all the time. But he says, and, you know, there are things that, that I see happening in the world that sometimes concern me. But I'm not supposed to be overly concerned with that. I'm supposed to rest in Him. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and he said, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by 
spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as at the day of Christ, is at hand. So, you know, there was, there was evidently even a letter sent to the Thessalonians, which said that Jesus had already come. Paul said, it didn't come from us. And don't be troubled, and don't be shaken, whether you hear these things or, you know, at the day of Christ's hand. Don't let anyone shake, be shaken you. So we're not to be shaken or troubled. Secondly, we're not to be seduced from the faith. Notice verse 14 again. It says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And then verse 17 says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So we are not to allow the world, the tribulation that's in the world, to draw us away or seduce us from following and trusting in the Lord. Now, I agree there are a lot of disturbing things going on in the world. I mean, since Trump decided that we should move the embassy to Jerusalem, and I agree, they're rioting. But you know what? They're not rioting because of that. That's just an excuse. I mean, they've been rioting since the early 1900s when Israel decided they wanted their land back. Oh, this is his excuse to riot. It has nothing to do with Trump deciding that we should move the embassy, which the Senate voted clear back in 1995 that we ought to do. We just now got a president that's got enough courage to do it. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's another whole story. But anyway, so there are a lot of disturbing things going on over. You know there are a lot of young people being killed or messed up in auto accidents. So the solution is, don't let your young person get the driver's license. Some people think that way. You know, what have you done with that kind of thinking? You've lost confidence in your child to be responsible enough to drive a car. You've shown that you don't trust the Lord with your child. Well, what if war breaks out with North Korea? Hey, it's possible. I guess we should probably not plan on going to Taiwan. You know, there have been shootings at churches. So the solution is you should quit going to churches. I mean, if we're going to look at the, the problems that are in the world and we're going to posture ourselves because of them, we're going to have to isolate ourselves in a little cave somewhere. You know, there have been shootings in Durham, Durham, Raleigh, Frankton, and Lewisburg. I was, on a, I was on a jury for a murder trial in Lewisburg about five years ago. It was, it was, and the, the shooting, the murder was only about two blocks from the courthouse. So I guess we should quit going to those places. Huh? See, because of the threats that are in the world, some people have the idea we should withdraw to a secluded place and store up food and build barricades and so on and so forth. No. Was Paul and Peter and the other disciples threatened ever? I mean, Paul was threatened everywhere he went. 
Well, he didn't hide out in a monastery somewhere. There were no such things in his time anyway. Um, not Catholic ones anyway, because there wasn't a Catholic church back then. You know, that's not what they did. So we must not posture ourselves in response to the circumstances of the world and be seduced thereby. We are, con- we are to continue walking by faith in obedience to our Lord without spot and without blame. We must not live in fear, but in faith. We must not live in fear of what may be. Yeah, you can always think of something that may be, but it may not. We must live by faith in God and simply do His will. Somebody says, faith is obeying God regardless of circumstances, consequences, or feelings. You know, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, Paul didn't live in fear. Though he knew that when he went off and when, that, you know, that when he went into a city, that many times there would be trouble. But he didn't live in fear of that. He trusted God to take care of him. He said, for me to live as Christ, die is gain. So why should I fear? The story is told that you know, John R. Rice preached pretty hard against liquor in his day. Supposedly one day he was picked up by several men. And they threatened him. Threatened his life. Unless he stopped preaching on, against liquor. And he said, and this is what he said, you mean you're going to threaten me with heaven? They didn't know what to do. They let him go. See, we didn't, we don't, we're not to allow, Peter says, we're not to allow the world to seduce us or draw us away from trusting the Lord because of the circumstances or the tribulations that are in the world. We can't, we don't, we're not denying that they're, that they're there. But we must not be seduced from the faith. Thirdly, we need to find, remain secure in God's promise. Notice verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is, notice, is salvation. I want you to think about that. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Uh, God's promise to us as his children is salvation. The word salvation means deliverance. You see, before this world is destroyed by a nuclear war, we know this much. You know, we know the world's going to be destroyed at some point. Back, verse 10, describes it for us. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are in shall be burned up seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. So the world as we see it is going to be dissolved. It's going to be destroyed. But I don't think it's going to be by a nuclear war with North Korea. I mean, there may be a war with North Korea, but the world's not going to be destroyed. You know, the promise to us is salvation. You see, we know this. Of course, 
according to the book of Revelation, it's going to be a tribulation period seven years long. God's going to judge this world. A lot of cataclysmic events. Destruction and death. But prior to that is the rapture of the saints. That's salvation. Deliverance. First Thessalonians 4 talks about that, or the catching away of the saints of God. You know, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 5.10 says, and Revelation 4.1 says, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice saying, come up hither. It's a picture of the rapture of the saints. And then what follows was the tribulation. Chapter 6 through 18. So there's going to be a, the rapture of the saints. There will be a seven year tribulation period. The saved will be in heaven with the Lord. And then after that there's going to be a thousand year reign of Christ. Described for us. Let's go with it. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up. Set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loose a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads and in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such a second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So, there's going to be the rapture, a seven-year tribulation period, the thousand-year reign of Christ, which we will rule and reign with Him on earth. Scribe there. And then after that, it's after that that God's going to destroy the heaven and the earth, as described in 2 Peter chapter 3. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are in shall be burned up. So, you know, we need to be, just be secure in God's promise. It is salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to deliver us from this present evil world. Fourthly, we need to be studying the scriptures as our anchor. Notice verse 15 and 16. An account of the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Now the un, un, to be unlearned simply means to be ignorant. The unstable means not steadfast or wavering. Like being tossed to and fro. Constantly changing. You know, we, we must have a heart that is willing to receive the word and obey it. And we are to view current events in light of scripture and not scripture in light of current events. I remember when the Gulf War 
See, which one was first? There was the Gulf War, and then there was the, um, what was the other one called? Huh? Desert Storm. Okay, Gulf War was first, I believe. Am I correct? I'm pretty sure. Gulf War was first. Anyway, um, I remember when the Gulf War came about, there was a lot of books written. Saddam Hussein was rebuilding Babylon. Babylon's talked about it in Revelation 17 and 18. The only problem is, the, the, the Babylon described in Revelation 17 and 18 does not fit Iraq. Because it describes it as a city on seven hills. That, my friends, is the Roman church. It's not Babylon. But a lot of so-called preachers made lots of money selling books about the apocalypse, the coming destruction. We're still here. Hasn't happened. See, what they were doing is viewing scriptures in light of current events and not current events in light of the scriptures. See, we're not supposed to look at the Bible and make it fit what I want it to fit or my ideas, we're supposed to study the Bible and let it form our ideas and our thoughts. We don't come to the scriptures as a self-help book by Joel Osteen. You know, you can get one of his books, Think Better, Live Better, Victorious Life is in Your Mind, or Every Day a Friday, or Become a Better You. Take your pick. A man's problem is not in his head. It's in his heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You see, these liberals don't have mind problems. Oh, they, they do. But the problem isn't in their mind. I mean, you can try to re-educate them, and you would think if they had a proper mindset, they could be re-educated. But they can't be. Because they have a heart problem. A heart that's in rebellion against God and against his truth. And they will not receive it. They're just like the Pharisees. Jesus told them who he was. And they wouldn't believe him. See, it's a heart problem. You, know, you can be a positive thinker and be far from God. Now, we have to come to the Bible, like the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. So we have to come to the scriptures believing that the scriptures are right, whatever they speak on. You know, the Bible is not a science book. But everything that it says about science is correct. See, before man understood that the world was round, was it Isaiah 40, I think it is, talks about the circle of the earth. Before man understood that there were paths in the sea, the psalmist spoke of paths in the sea. 
a man by the name of Murray, who was a, who was a mariner, read that passage and said, Aha, I'm going to find those paths. Because it aided shipping. He found those paths and it increased their speed of travel in the oceans. Because there are paths in the sea. See, everything the Bible says about science is true. So we have to esteem or highly value that everything the Bible speaks about is right. That's how we have to view it. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, To study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The words rightly dividing have the idea of cutting straight, making straight, or smooth, or handle it correctly. It involves careful searching, comparing Scripture with Scripture, considering context, considering proper grammar. And so, we need to study the Scriptures as our anchor. It's our anchor. And then number five, Peter says we need to be steady in our growth. Verse 18 says, But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We're to be steady in our growth. You know, it is God's desire for us to grow, to be steadfast, confident children of the King. Every child wants to grow up. And when we grow up, you know, we'll come to the conclusion that adulthood is overrated when you're little. You know. No, not really. But, but uh, uh, you know, we, 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 we want to we we always be growing, moving forward. Until you get to my age, and then you start thinking about, hmm, not sure I want to progress anymore. I'm not progressing. But anyway, uh, no, we should be, but we should be steady in our growth as a child of God. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Chapter 3, verse 15 of 1 Peter. Peter says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In, uh, ver- and in verse 16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And then in chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Again, the idea here is that God wants us to be strong, growing, confident Christians. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. <coughs> Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. 
uh, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So we're to multiply knowledge, we're to add to our faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God wants us to be growing, to be progressing in our walk with the Lord. Now, if you're going to do that, there are things, some things that are necessary in your life. If we're going to grow, if we're going to understand the Scriptures, we have to, number one, we have to pray for the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 119.18 says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. In John 14.26, Jesus told his disciples, when he was in the garden, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. John, in his epistle, said, You have an unction from the Holy One. And you need not that anyone teach you. He teaches you all things. Talking again about the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You see, if you're going to grow in your Christian life, you need the Spirit of God working in your life. You need the Spirit of God guiding you teaching you, instructing you, revealing to you the truths of the Word of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That word discerned means investigated as. So we have to have the guiding of the Holy Spirit. There has to be reading or hearing of the Word of God. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Till I come give attendance to reading, now think about that. When Paul wrote that, how many people in the churches do you think had Bibles then? Probably almost none. So probably, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but probably this reading here is public reading. When Paul wrote to the church churches at Rome and said faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God so give attendance to reading now I think you need to read you know we are we are blessed to have Bibles that we can have at home have at church that we can read anytime we want I mean I got a Bible on my phone and I'm sure you do too, or you could have. Just don't read it while you're driving, like you do texting. But we are to give attendance to reading, <laughs> to exhortation, that's of course preaching, to doctrine, that's teaching. So reading, there must be reading of the Scriptures. We have to meditate. Thirdly, we need to meditate on the Scriptures. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to, to do according to all that is written therein. 
prosper. Then thou shalt make the way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So we need to not only read it and pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us to make us so we can understand it, but we need to think about it. You know, we we don't live in a in a society where people meditate or think about it. We have something. We have noise constantly. And if there isn't noise constantly, we make it. We'll play music. You know, think about the early Christians. They didn't have, they didn't have uh, CD players, MP3 players, or MP4s, whatever they are, and, and they didn't have. They couldn't turn their phone on and put all their music on their phone and play that, or and 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 they didn't even have they didn't even have cassette tapes, and they didn't even have eight tracks. I'm going way back. And before that, they didn't even have the old, you know, those big old real things you know, that they watched. They had nothing that they could record it with, to my knowledge. So they didn't have all these distractions that we have, these modern gadgets that take our time and, and, and fill our minds with mush. Much of which is of no value. Is it any wonder that some of the preachers from two, three hundred years ago wrote commentary series on all the books of the Bible? You know, one of the most one of the most um, how do I say this? The greatest corrupter of the Bible, of the church father period, early on, I think it was, he was in the 200 A.D. era, was a guy by the name of Origen. And they said that he wrote 6,000 books in his lifetime. No tape writers, no processors, and no computers. 6,000 books. God wants us to meditate. David wrote all those psalms out meditating under the stars, watching his sheep. Listening to the crickets and the waterfall. Meditate. Fourthly, we have to study. Study is work. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman, notice this, that needeth not to be Ashamed. You know, many times Christians are embarrassed because they don't know what they ought to know because they don't study. Now this is this is more than just reading. It's not just reading, it's studying. It's as I mentioned earlier, it's comparing scripture with scripture. And your reading will help you in your study. You know, I I've shared this before with you, I think that one of the things that probably helped me as much as anything in my study is that for a period of time I read the Bible through seven times in a year. Two or three years. And now when I study, you know, I can think of verses. I don't, you know, I couldn't say it's in Deuteronomy 8, 4. But now that I got a computer, you know, I type in a few words and it'll find it for me. As long as I type it exactly correct. 
Uh, but, but see, that has aided me in my study. Uh, but study is comparing Scripture with Scripture. It's rightly, again, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, you can come up with a mess like this if you don't write divide the word of truth. That's what you'll come up with. That's where all the cults have come from. They have twisted the Scriptures. They've done what Peter said. They've rested the Scriptures through their ignorance. They've rested the Scriptures. So we need to study. And then the fifth thing, this one's really complicated, so ready? It's do it. Do it. Simply obey. In Psalm 119, verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. And I thought it was interesting in 1 Peter 5, in verse 10, Peter said, But the God of all grace hath called you, who hath called you unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Notice this. After that ye have suffered a while. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. What makes, what makes a good child? It's affliction. We call it spanking. That's what makes a good child. It's correction. And it's afflicting. It hurts. Do you know what makes a strong Christian? It's after you've suffered a while. And experienced the sufficiency of the grace of God in your life. You know, the old saying is, a smooth sea never made a good mariner. No, it's the rough seas that teach a seaman how to float his boat. It's the rough seas. It's the waves crashing on the shore that smooth the rocks. Take away the rough edges. You see, God wants us to obey His Word. And He rejoices in it that we obey. In Second John chapter, uh, there only is one chapter. Verse four through six, he says, "I rejoice greatly that I find thy children walking in truth, as we received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment that, as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. And then in Third John verses three and four, for I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee." Even as thou walkest in truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Spurgeon said, quote, In order that they might know how to stand and to be preserved from falling, he gave them this direction, Grow in grace. For the way to stand is to grow, and the way to be steadfast is to go forward. There is no standing except by progression. See, God wants us to be steady in our growth. He wants us to grow. 
And we can have the peace of God. We can be steadfast in a, in a world that's full of troubles and turmoil because we have a God who's given us his promise. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. And we know how the end's going to end. We know how it's going to end. And we need to just trust in his care for us. And be steadfast in the apocalyptic world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement that we find in it. Father, we thank you for the provisions you've made for us that we can be steadfast in a world that's full of troubles and trials. So Lord, just help us and encourage us. Help us to apply these principles to our lives. Just to rest in your promises. We pray in Jesus' name.